Success has got the same impact on our brain as any drug. In the past, I was very successful at convincing myself that I need another drink. I was very successful at convincing other people that they need another drink. (laughs) (laughs) Once you stop believing something is impossible, it becomes possible. But have you not heard the chicken joke? Why did the chicken cross the road? People overestimate the likelihood that they are correctly judging a situation. My therapist snaked me on this one. Thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) I am Anna, and together with my co-host Andrea, this month we are going to spice things up. We're going to keep our episodes short and sweet so we don't interfere with your successful overindulging season. On chocolate, mulled wine and mince pies. Welcome to Sunday Characters. Well, well, well. Speaking of success, Andre, how do we define it? Pearl Nightingale says that success is the progressive realization of a worthy idea. If a man is working toward a predetermined goal and knows where he's going, that man is a success. And if he's not doing that, he's a failure. He also says that a success is the woman who is a wife and a mother because she wants to become one and is doing a good job of it. And you know what? I've been thinking about what is the opposite of success. And Earl Nightingale, in The Strangest Secret, he says that success is seen as courage. And the opposite of courage is conformity. So it's not failure. That's an interesting aspect of it. Because if we look at the antonym for success, we'll find failure in the dictionary. What do you think? I think success for me is setting my mind to do something and doing it. That might be something very big. That might be something relatively small. Some days for me, success is just managing to wash the dishes. And if I've done that, I feel like I succeeded. Or at least that particular day. Yeah, I think um, failure is a part of success, not the opposite of it. Andrea, do you think you're successful? Bang. It depends who you're asking. because. If you're asking the Romanian society, being single and childless in my 30s and pursuing my career and other ambitions, Anna is a freaking disaster. So by that standard, I'm not successful. Yeah, I guess I'm successful at disappointing the Romanian society. That's a success right there. (laughs) You and me both. But I think in many ways, I am successful just by my own standards. Andre, seeing that we are both successful at disappointing the Romanian society, Let's force ourselves to think of different ways in which we are already successful. Talk to me. I have to tell you about what I thought success in my career looked like and how I am successful in that way today by comparison. So I thought I was going to be successful in my career when going to work didn't require a uniform, you know, because I was waitressing for such a long time. Yeah, I've achieved that. So by that standard, I'm very successful. I don't have a uniform. You know what? I thought I would make it when my work phone had my name on it. I don't think we are very far from each other. I mean, what do you mean have a phone with your name on it? Oh, yeah, I have others as well. I thought I'm going to be successful when I had manager in my job title. That only brought more responsibilities, right? Absolutely. What do you think happened? So successful. (laughs) Maybe we actually manifested that. For sure. Look at us, little Oprah and Jim Carrey vibes. (laughs) Oprah talks about manifestation quite a lot. And she says that manifestation is to create the highest, grandest vision possible for your life. Because you become what you believe. And, you know, you and I spoke about this in the podcast a million times. 
I think it's such a powerful story about Jim Carrey because he wrote himself a check for $10 million in 1985. And on that check, he put the sum and he also said that it's for acting services rendered. And he carried that check with him for 10 years straight. In 1995, when he got the role for the film Dumb and Dumber, he was actually offered $10 million. All I took from this is that I need to carry a check with me at all times. And I'm going to start today. Go for it. And actually, I think there's a few websites where you can do that. So you can write yourself a check. Mm -hmm. And I know what other ways are you successful? I have so many on my list, Andre. And somewhere at the top is that I'm very successful at failing at my own advice. (laughs) What are you successful at? I'm very successful convincing myself that I need a new dress or I have nothing to wear. They normally go hand in hand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so successful at that as well. You know, Andrea, when you're running out of hangers and you're like, yeah, but I have nothing to wear. So you buy a new dress and you buy a new hanger. It's a win-win. Exactly. In the past, I was also very successful at convincing myself that I need another drink, even though I was probably wasted. That was back when I was at uni. You know, that one drink. Yeah, I need that. I need that. I was very successful at convincing other people that they need another drink. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a lot of things have changed since then. My success kind of faded, was short-lived. Now I think because I drink so slowly, Andre, my success turned into I'm very successful at drinking from the same drink for up to two hours. It's awful. Oh, I know. You're a very cheap date. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So my last relationship, we would go out on dates and then he kept on telling people how much more he started drinking since being in a relationship with me. And initially I kind of let that one slide. Then it happened again. Like, oh, since I've been with Anna, I'm drinking so much more. And I was thinking, I promise you, I don't drink that much. I was questioning my alcohol intake. The first time you met him, he said the same thing. And you said, what do you mean Anna doesn't drink that much? Finally, maybe I'll get an answer after years. And he said, oh, I know. I know she doesn't drink that much. But by the time she finishes half a pint, I already had two or three pints. And that was the answer I was looking for. (laughs) Well, I can confirm that anyone that drinks at your speed, when they go out with you, they are not in danger of getting drunk anytime. (laughs) (laughs) It might be very thirsty in the process. (laughs) But I'm not surprised that you convinced yourself that you need another drink. I think we all do that to a certain extent. And you know me and my biases. Of course, I have an explanation for why you did that. So this one is called overconfidence bias. People overestimate the likelihood that they are correctly judging a situation. In your case, yes, I do need another drink. And they underestimate the chances that they are wrong. And oftentimes we think that our opinion is the right one. One way to overcome this is, you know, to acknowledge that we might be wrong. So I was thinking about this overconfidence bias and the role that it has when you are in a leadership position. So true leaders, they often surround themselves with people who challenge their opinion. So In that case, if you feel like you needed another drink, maybe you wanted to be in a group of friends who can tell you without you being mad at them that, no, and actually, I think you have enough. Uh, Going back to when we were at uni, if anything, you would have encouraged me to have another drink. Well, that's what I said earlier. I was never that person. I'm also very successful at convincing myself that I can repeatedly win at bingo. And the only reason I keep on saying that is because my 85-year-old neighbor does it. 
So I'm like, no, she, she can do it. I can do it. You do realize it probably took her half a century to get there to so many bingo wins. But at least you've got a strong example. You keep going, Anna. You know, made me think of the first man to run a mile in under four minutes. This is a famous story about Sir Roger Bannister. Up until he did it in 1954, most of the people thought the four-minute mark was impossible to break because they thought the human body couldn't physically go that fast. Apparently, it would potentially collapse under that much pressure. So no one could run a mile in less than four minutes. And a lot of people didn't try it because they thought, okay, I don't want my body to break down. But once Bonister proved that it was possible, suddenly everyone was able to do it. And they proved an important lesson. Once you stop believing something is impossible, it becomes possible. Just 46 days after Bonister broke the record, Landy beat his time. Wow. And over the next few years, more and more people broke through this four-minute mark once they realized that, yes, it was possible. You know, I think the same thing happened with Barack Obama becoming the president, because sometimes the power of example is so strong that it has the power to shift the perspective of people, of what they can or cannot achieve. So in the case of Barack Obama becoming president, I think it shifted the perspective of young African-Americans that maybe are hoping to become uh, president. Now, I'm not saying that that happened yet, but I think that thought might have not been there until he's done it, if that makes sense. It does. Sometimes our minds convince us that it's not possible. So we just decide, you know what, I'm going to spend my time somewhere else or doing something else. We don't even give ourselves the chance to even try. Agreed. You know what I'm really successful at? And my therapist snaked me on this one. <laughs> I'm very successful at moving goalposts all the time in order to convince myself that I'm not actually successful. I mean, the reason I tend to do it is because I always want to grow. In the process of being successful or something, I realize that there is another level and that keeps me going. That's not the problem. The problem is that... We keep moving goalposts and then we're never happy with what we have achieved in the first place. It's not really about wanting more. It's about celebrating when you got there to begin with. And I know why we do that. So success has got the same impact on our brain as any drugs. We get a dopamine hit when we reach our goals and then we're craving the next dopamine hit. We keep moving goalposts all the time. So we chase that high. But I think if we are addicted to success, we have to be very upfront about it. Most people never feel successful enough. There's no such thing. In terms of our brain and what it does to us, the high of a success only lasts a day or two, and then it's on to the next goal. In psychology, this feeling is called the hedonic treadmill. So satisfaction wears off almost immediately, and we must run on to the next reward to avoid the feeling of falling behind. Many studies show that successful people are almost invariably jealous of people who are more successful because we're always going to find someone who has more than us, who does better than us. The antidote to not chasing the next high over and over again is to either change the way we measure success and learn how to celebrate any goal achievements. Because it's not about the growth mindset. It's about sitting in that moment for a little bit and celebrating. It's an interesting point. In the same time, without slightly moving the goalposts, I also think of stagnation. Yeah. We don't want that, but we don't want to be so addicted to get ourselves to burnout. Another thing I'm very successful at, and I've experienced this very recently, 
and is a success I repeat over and over again, is thinking that I don't need to wash my hair for my passport photo. Andrea, and I'm also very successful at disagreeing the next day. And probably for the next 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'll have to look at the same picture over and over again. Oh, yeah, I have some of those. I'm very successful at convincing myself that I need a takeaway, specifically every Friday night. (laughs) Now, shall we see what facts Google has for success? Do you want to start? Not really, but (laughs) the first thing that Google says is that success is relative. 100% agree. Another one is that success is mostly about perseverance through failure. And Google says, just fail harder. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, just fail harder. Hmm. This one was in relation to success, but kind of interesting. It says, curiosity didn't kill anyone. I mean, I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Have you not heard the chicken joke? Why did the chicken cross the road? (laughs) I mean, as the queen says, can you refresh my recollection? Because he wanted to get to the other side. What? (laughs) (laughs) And they laughed and laughed and laughed. I tried to look around to see what other people say, what success is for them. And someone said, having my bills paid and a little bit of money left over. I think that's nice. Yeah. Not quite my idea of success, but we'll give them that. And then what country is the most successful in the world? I have questions. Most successful at producing entrepreneurs, disrupting global peace, because I have a few. (laughs) (laughs) So according to topteens.com, they measured the success of a country based on the country's economy, military and a global position. They also look at things like freedom, healthcare, influential power. The top one is USA. And it's followed by Norway, England, France, and Japan. It's interesting because I would have thought that with everything that happened in the USA in the last few years and the pandemic, particularly around the political scene, I thought the American dream was over, but hey-ho, not really. And if you had to describe success in one phrase, what would you say? I'm going to share something that is a core belief that I live by. Success is contagious and so is happiness. And that's why it's important to surround yourself with people who are already successful and by extension, happy. I agree. I would say there's always space for improvement and more cats. (laughs) 